0: Welcome and hear hear. This is hear hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my fiction story, What There Is to Be Done. I'm excited to share this with you, one chapter at a time. If you're interested in getting your hands on a paperback copy of the book, visit my linktree at linktr.ee/danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r.ee/danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. If you're interested in reaching out, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan, or drop an email to dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. All right, you hit play, so it's time to hear here. If you're driving or running or working, I'm glad to be along with you. Maybe grab a drink later? If you're somewhere safe, raise a glass and toast a blessing to our Catholic schools, our students and teachers, and our imperfect but faithful endeavor to teach the faith. I'll join you. Here, here. Cheers and enjoy. Some people meet the love of their life in high school. Others come across their one and only during college. Still, others may get set up by a friend who plays matchmaker just right. Teresa's marriage came from none of those paths. She met John at a bar. Teresa would laugh thinking of a couple she knew who met on a dating app. In all their Catholic wholesomeness and guilt, they felt they had to hide this fact from their parents for a while before finally coming clean years into their relationship. Teresa thought the circumstances of finding her dear John were frankly pretty funny, a bit pitiable, and generally fun to share. She was at a bar with friends. One of her friends noticed a different friend across the bar with a different circle of friends. The two groups combined their hangout, and Teresa met John. After oscillating for a long time between at times feeling snake-bitten in romance, and at other times feeling peaceful and relaxed, she liked the feel of her love's backstory. Organic, casual, maybe a bit lucky. It was the result of a middle ground between pressing to find the love of your life or to otherwise be totally and completely detached and ready for indefinite singleness and celibacy. In her mind, and in the way she shared her simple story, she and John were an example of something more accessible and relatable. John certainly was not a teacher or a minister, by trade. Having studied engineering at a big public state school, work was, for John, more than just a way to put food on the table, but not quite a transcendent calling. Raised Catholic and continuing to practice, John certainly had a sense of his life being about more than coding and output productivity. To him, his ability to build programs and applications might not have been some altruistic, self-sacrificing service he provided to his brothers and sisters. He would be more inclined to say that God gave him gifts, behind which he discovered a passion, and with which he developed skills and competencies that are his way of contributing his very self to the common good. But that mindset didn't bracket his faith entirely off from his work life. Even if he didn't consider each stroke of code to be a prayer, John did feel that his life of faith should come through in the way he carries himself and treats others. From holding the door, to cleaning up after himself or careless others, in the break room, to politely greeting coworkers and asking with genuinely interest how they're doing. Colleagues sometimes raised an eyebrow when a fellow programmer demonstrated some above-average interpersonal skills, but John was mostly appreciated as a mild remix of what might be a more stereotypical coder. Earlier that year, John had come home from work around the normal 5.30 p.m. time to find his wife Teresa in between moods. She wasn't planning and grading with wild urgency. Yet she also wasn't totally unplugged and relaxed. Her planner-slash-journal and some of her school stuff were splayed across the coffee table, and she was sitting on the couch, not quite forward on its edge, but also not kicking back comfortably. As John hung up his coat and keys and set down his bag, he peered curiously across the room toward her perch. So you've got your planner out and open, but you're not admiring anything, John said. John could see the color codes and format laid out with the typical shape and order that reflect her well-organized and now externalized brain. Teresa smiled, leaned forward, and flipped to the list she had made at that morning's faith formation session. She passed John the notebook so he could scan the list. He reviewed the litany of checked-off line items before arriving at the apparent ellipsis at the end. Teresa began to describe the exercise that prompted her journaling and worked her way up to asking John those same three questions. Now halfway through another school year, Teresa had stewed and worked with the backdrop of that discernment. She had been keen not to obsess, but she placed her ideas and sentiments in a plugged-in crockpot set to low. John was the earnest discernment partner she needed, inviting her to offer updates, asking old questions anew, and giving her time and space between check-ins to allow her day-to-day focus to remain on her classes and her students, where she certainly preferred to keep it, even when it was a struggle. After mass that previous Sunday, Teresa had told John she wanted to dig into this more after the last day of school for the calendar year. And so now, on the Friday evening in December after the students had all gone home, John was ready to open the crockpot a crack and see how it was all cooking. This was best done with the familiar context that John and Teresa loved and relied upon. An impulsively chosen carryout dinner, usually from an old favorite haunt. A sloppily hunched eating experience over carpet and coffee table and a coin flip between a loungy talk at home or a kinetic discussion up and down the blocks of their urban suburban neighborhood. John came back from the front door with a tall paper bag full of containers with differently-sauced chicken wings, an order of fries, sticks of vegetables, and ample amounts of ranch dressing. He ceremoniously began to unpack it all with unmatched elegance onto an IKEA coffee table. Teresa had a solid enough semester especially considering the new teaching load she'd undertaken for a first time. She had enjoyed fairly smooth sailing and just had to acclimate to a little extra student AP test anxiety and a few additional probing parent emails. But it was nothing some conversation and a few careful parent-teacher conferences couldn't address. It had all distracted her just enough from the bigger picture. It kept her from obsessing or overanalyzing over this potential new aspiration, but she was keeping the slow cooker on. Let's talk about Joanne, John said. She's capable, she's good, she's well-liked and been at it forever, and she's retiring, Teresa blurted, kicking off her shoes after one last long day of teaching for the calendar year. There was just something so satisfying about being barefoot. Retiring, John replied. Okay, okay. Okay. He was stammering, processing that the woman who held the role that Teresa was beginning to want was about to vacate it. Teresa absentmindedly crunched into a ranch dressing-soaked french fry and chewed it like it contained some sort of extractable ancient wisdom. John looked at her a bit blankly, figured that was a sign that they may be foregoing their typical pre-meal prayer of grace, and eyeballed his pile of wings. He snagged his fork and dug into his first bite of what he knew was essentially glorified popcorn chicken. Teresa continued staring off into space, and then as she swallowed her first bite, she continued. Joanne is great. She's capable, good, well-liked, been at it forever. Yep, mm-hmm, said that, mm-hmm, John crosstalked. And someone has to follow her, Teresa concluded. I was just swinging by her office in the admin wing to drop off some receipts from my yearbook photographer's equipment. I did my usual how are you and waited to hear how her day was going. I figured I'd just be dropping my packet and wishing her a happy break. Before I was even done asking how she was, she sort of cut me off and said, it's been a bittersweet but happy day. I guess she had been talking to her husband about wanting to see their grandkids more. Man, she looks great for a grandmother. She's a grandmother? Dang, John blurted. I know. Definitely another tally in the column to try to have kids. Anyway, she talked it over with her husband and agreed that she only needed to work as long as she wanted to work. Their retirement plans are in good order. He just wants to keep working because he still enjoys it and wants to buffer their investments a bit more. So, she's retiring. Good for her. How great that they've worked hard and managed themselves well to create the freedom to make that call, John said. He hoped an example like Joanne would underscore to Teresa that his spendthrifty lifestyle and disciplined adult decisions around retirement contributions, savings, and investments were the right calls, even if terribly boring and conservative. Yeah, she said she hasn't done anything formal, like have an official meeting or give full notice, but she brought me into the loop before I even knew what was going on. Teresa took a deep breath. So let's talk. Okay, well, does the school need it? It's about to. Student life has to have a director, John stated. But would they post an opening? Do they already have someone in mind? Will they eliminate the position? How would I even approach? John gently cut her off. Hun. She was about to get way ahead of herself. Some analysis and projection would be needed, but maybe not so immediately and thoroughly. He took a beat and continued. Does it bring you joy? Teresa added, Yes. Even years into teaching, even having my dream course load, even juggling my student clubs, I would be fired up to take charge of student life. I could get my hands on budgets, dig into moderator stipends and student activity funding, finally get someone lined up to start an improv club for the theater kids. John piped up, Okay, well one more question then, even though I have my answer, just to help seal the deal in a way. Are you good at it? Teresa stared through her first chicken wing, took another big old drippy bite, "'and chewed on the question for a moment. "'Yeah, I really think I could be,' she said matter-of-factly. "'And I think we would be,' John said "'through a mouth excessively full of saucy chicken. "'Teresa came down from her cloud "'to direct a probing glance toward John, "'who guiltily half-smiled as he chewed and swallowed. "'She simultaneously found it disgusting and endearing. "'Ultimately, he believed in her, but was also quite hungry.'" We'll get back to the book shortly but first is your last thanks be to god at mass your loudest one do you take being sent forth so seriously that you sprint out the doors to your car do you struggle to cope when that one person in your family can't seem to be sent forth quite as quickly you need the kairos clock the stopwatch gadget that keeps god's time just set the kairos clock on your rosary miraculous metal necklace chain or liturgical veil as you sit stand bow and kneel the kairos clock will scan the congregation take stock of who's in attendance, and calculate an excellent estimate on how long your family is sure to be delayed in leaving. Trying to kill time while the Eucharistic vessels are being cared for? Don't peek too soon. The Kairos clock needs the whole mass to add up that time. Once you make your final sign of the cross, the Kairos clock will give you a final count and make sure you know just how late you'll be to get your name on the list at your favorite Sunday breakfast spot. The Kairos clock, telling you how many minutes to add to your holy hour. I'm not on Instagram, and I'm a selective poster and moderate lurker on Facebook, where I share the Restless Heart blog posts. But I'm most active on Twitter, where I actually really enjoy the Catholic presence of many thoughtful and faithful people. I want to recommend a few of my favorite follows to you here. This week, I invite you to follow Haley Stewart. Haley tweets at HaleyCarrots, H-A-L-E-Y-C-A-R-R-O-T-S. Haley is an author, podcaster, Word on Life Institute fellow, and a faith-forward mom and wife. Her book, The Grace of Enough, is an amazing memoir and reflection on her family's move to a small home on a sustainable living farm and how that experience led to transformative changes for her family's life and faith. Haley is down-to-earth, smart, and wise, and her mix of humor and wisdom are a blessing. Follow Haley Stewart at Haley Carrots, H A L E Y C A R R O T S. They talked at greater lengths about Teresa's hopes and dreams. She wanted to engage the Student Council moderators in reforming the system to integrate service and create student houses to build a new vertical for student unity in place of class year rivalries. She wanted to work with the athletic director and the academic bowl moderator, and maybe departmental chairpeople to devise house competitions around physical challenges as well as more intellectual contests. She wanted to take the temperature of college counseling on what they thought colleges most looked for, whether or not the school offered that well, and to what extent the school should prioritize those parameters, or do their own internal work setting the slate of activity at their school. At that point, Teresa turned off the fire hose of ideas. Her salvo of plans was long enough for John to polish off his wings, so he sunk a fresh stick of carrot into the ranch and went Bugs Bunny on Teresa. Yeah, that's all pretty good, Doc. How about some of the knucklehead stuff? More money to be an admin. Teresa's eyes widened and brightened a smidge. Bigger title, formal affirmation, chance to make a big impact. Teresa's mouth curled into a partial smile as he gently nodded. But it's going to be a bigger time commitment. More weeknights and weekends. More visibility. More plugged in when you come home at night. To emails and texts. Teresa's eyes narrowed as she chewed on this tougher element. I do not love that, she replied, as some of the wind fell out of her sails. At least with teaching, even with APUSH now, I can come home, cut off student emails before dinner, and then choose whether I'm doing grading and planning at home as I relax, or squeeze it into windows of time at school. I like that flow. I like that control. I like those boundaries. She let out a bigger exhale. That would be tricky. Teresa always felt like her teaching load and her proactive personality enabled her to maintain reasonable boundaries and have some control over how to get her work done. If she wanted to get up early and grade in her department office before school, she could. If she wanted to sleep in, she could save some work for downtime in the evening at home. But if she was handling student life for the whole school, there'd be a countless number of things that could creep past her work-life boundaries. Field trips after hours that go awry. Disputes about club activities taking place in the evenings. Special school events on the weekends and on and on. And the idea of that creep, of that stress, of that ubiquity, They had polished off the wings and were just munching on veggies, so Teresa pivoted. Let's go for a walk, John. John knew the look, knew the feel. He'd walked with Teresa closely enough for long enough to know the time for a change of pace, change of mode. It wasn't that she wanted to stop talking at all. It's that she needed to take a moment to slow down her brain, reground her emotions, and ease back into a good conversation. Teresa knew it. John knew it. On their shoes, gloves, and coats went. With scarves and hats to top it off, they walked out the door into the cool December air. The walk would do them good, especially to settle the junk food they just pounded. Teresa gave them a block or so to set their deliberate pace and settle into the air. There was something spiritually stabilizing about the walk. The kinetics seemed to freshen up Teresa's mind and heart, and the openness of the outdoors surrounded her more gently and lovingly than the imposing walls of any of the modestly-sized rooms in their apartment. Letting all those good resets recalibrate her trains of thought, she picked up her thread and then dove straight in. Our family, John. I don't know if I can do this to our family, Teresa started. John soaked it in only briefly. He quickly started to pore over his reactions to his wife taking on a job with greater responsibilities with a larger time commitment, one with more tentacles reaching into more hours of their days and weeks. His instinct said she could find a handle on it, and the strength and health of their relationship could make it work. But did she need him to be more of a skeptic and offer a bit of thoughtful, if supposed, opposition? He started to formulate the beginning of his first reply, but she was already talking again. It's been six months. We've been trying for six months. I know that's not a long time, and I know it doesn't happen right away, or even in the early going for a lot of couples. But now it's not hypothetical. It's happening or not happening. John was glad he sat on his first thoughts for an extra moment. They'd need to talk about the work-life balance, too. But before they even went there, Teresa's heart turned to the questions of fertility that were lingering with them. John was glad. They had talked a lot about starting to try. But as the early going hadn't yet yielded a positive pregnancy test, they hadn't really talked about that. He was ready to go there, and he breathed a sigh of relief that she was too. Maybe it's me, John started. There's plenty of things that could be off on my end. But I think we both know that your mental, emotional state can be pretty impactful. Your headaches, your fatigue, your stomach's unease. When you're tired and running at high levels for a long time, you keep your cool impeccably. You keep your efficiency and productivity impeccably. You remain personable and selfless impeccably, but you often end up taking a toll on your physical well-being. Those stresses in your mind and heart and the knots in your stomach, are they having an effect on this part of things too? John was a little nervous. As a guy, he wanted to be sure to admit that he could be the problem while also trying to name the potential impact Teresa's work-life balance could have. To properly juggle family and parenthood discernment within career discernment, he wanted to get it on the table. Still, he wasn't a robot and knew his wife had feelings. Had he been too tactless, too forward, too presumptuous? I think it is. I'm managing work well professionally, but the way I'm holding and carrying it is taking its toll, Teresa replied. Ooh, John thought. If I want to really dig into this career idea, and I really want to answer this invitation to parenthood and family life. I have to be real about that impact." John couldn't have been more grateful. He wanted the same thing she did. He thought there was a way she could do this job, be a mom and wife, and retain her health and wellness. He just wondered if now was the time, and if not, if it was wise to be thinking about it so extensively. It turned out that she could, and he was excited, because he thought her admission and her humility was a huge chunk of the battle in finding a deeper-seated peace that could set the table better for what they both wanted. What followed was a walk that would have made quite the visual on a smart device tracking map. Teresa and John weaved a heck of a multi-mile path around their neighborhood. They volleyed thoughts around excitement for paternity leave. They both got it as a work benefit. Let's take it together. What what would we do for childcare? Could our parents tag in? Should John go part-time? Whether or not they needed to move? We have the spare bedroom, but enough room? Thoughts of getting a new car? questions of a graduate degree for John, and feelings of optimism and mutual hope that they could figure out a way to do this. They even wondered if the delay in conceiving their first child could be an invitation to have more conversations, to think about the puzzle pieces of work and career one more time, and to pencil in some new ideas for how family life might start. Teresa and John strolled back into their apartment, tossing around baby names. The feeling was good and not superficial, They weren't forgetting potential fertility issues or underplaying career choice frictions. They were just at a more deliberate and relaxed place where they could enjoy a hypothetical banter. As they kicked off their shoes and tucked away their cold weather gear, John flat out asked, So, do you think you want to go for it? Teresa smiled and nodded a little bit, with her head tilted a little crookedly. John smirked at her. Her ambivalence was sprinkled with affirmation of his companionship. Teresa chuckled and said, I'm going to take a shower. She gave John a big hug, kissed him on the cheek, and stepped away to their master bathroom. John shook his head and returned the same chuckle she had given him, and smiled as he plopped down on the couch. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book, Visit my linktree at linktr.ee/danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r.ee/danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. Finally, thank you for listening. May God bless you and all our Catholic school communities. And to you and your prayers and toasts, you're here. guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by jason fam this book and podcast are copyright dan masterton 2021 all rights reserved